Matthew Stiver, welcome. Welcome, good sir. It's good to see you. Thank you for uh, making the time and space. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's It's been a long time coming. And it has been too long of a time coming, but I appreciate your patience, good sir. Uh, for those tuning in, um, welcome. Uh, we're blessed by the, uh, the great Matt Stiver, Mr. Lifestyle Labs, the Java boy himself. Ooh, I'm going to uh, steal some of those. <laughs> Go. All free, all free nuggets today. No, man, I'm excited for this because I always enjoy our conversations. I feel like the way you approach not only your work, but your creative craft as well. It's refreshing and uh, you seem to have always done it your way. So I feel like you got you got some nuggets for me, if, if nothing more for, for the gang and anybody tuning in here too. Let's so, hope so. Let's hope so. Um, let's start it off. Uh, we met through, of course, our lovely ladies. Uh, mm-hmm. built the relationship over the last couple of years, but take us back from, from all the way back where, where you would say where it all started. What was your, your first interest or the, your first curiosity that led you to starting down your, we'll call it academic discipline before we jump into all the other stuff later mm-hmm. on. Okay. Okay. I mean, I remember, I remember when I first realized I should probably go into engineering, which is my academic lane of choice, uh, as you probably know. Um, and it was really not until I was graduating and had to be faced with that decision of which, which programs do you apply for? It was right at the, you know, last second. And I don't know how I didn't realize it before then, but looking back on my interests and looking back on what I excelled in, um, it was problem solving. It was thinking critically. Um, and the kind of epiphany moment for me was I looked up some, you know, guidance counselor, my parents probably told me to look back and say, you know, looking back at your schooling, what did you enjoy the most? And when I was in grade four or five, we did something called the engineering challenge. And that was just, that was my full commitment every time we did that. And I go, the, the words right in the name. I don't know how I didn't, I didn't put those two things together. And that was quite literally the simplicity of me going into engineering was I like cutting edge things. I like, um, you know, new innovations. And I realized I could be a part of that, essentially. I feel like that's really early on to to be career tracking your kids and finding out. I mean, evidently it worked because it panned out in so far as you, your, your profession and your your work now applied to your four-year-old, four-year-old grade four dream. But shit, grade four, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to, I didn't know my <laughs> left foot from my right foot. So I'm surprised that they would have thrown a challenge at you. What was, the, how, how deep into the engineering problems did they go? No, well, not not that deep, but it was just the fact that I enjoyed that so much. And that was, you know, kids dread homework, but that was the one that I would be up, you know, working until, I guess, when you're that young, 10 p.m. on. But, <laughs> you know, that's what I was actually excited to work on as a kid. And that's that's hugely important. But taking a giant leap forward now into my career, I'm also the kind of definition of the degree that you're in isn't necessarily what you end up doing in your career. And, and I've been shunted in a completely different direction from engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also made me realize the value of hiring a person, not based on their technical skills, but the virtues that might come along with that, that degree, right? I'm a strong believer that people can hire engineers for any position that requires critical thinking skills. And if you get happen to get one of the few engineers that's good at interpersonal skills as well, you've got a pretty deadly combo there. And you can transition that, you know, into yourself, sales or, or a whole lot of disciplines. It's it's like the soft skills will will really amplify the the technical and the hard skills of an engineer. But it's isn't the spirit and the purpose of the entire STEM field to like have some semblance of a a filter where if you can't get past and put the critical thinking and the hard work to build and craft these hard skills, then no matter how slick of a, a talker you are, your, your soft skills aren't going to get you far. You got to know the context of the problem. I think that's maybe why people in STEM might be slightly more uh, easily aggravated by slick talkers like yourself, <laughs> Mr. Nick. Um, you, you tend to see through the slick talk a bit. I mean, you call bullshit. <laughs> Not saying that's you, but that's an interesting uh, thing to piece together. Is that how you were, is that how you were, uh, like, how were you as a student in, in, in high school, university, uh, were you disciplined? Were you dedicated? Were you self-driven and motivated? What classes, what class did you slack off in the most? I slacked off 
strategically, I'd say, in my <laughs> undergrad. Because I mean, engineering is an extremely intensive mm-hmm. degree. And I'd say the only times that I was really slacking off was when I realized that other disciplines or other uh, courses needed more attention. And I remember in my third year, I quite literally strategically sacrificed a course. I didn't go to the last half of the year's classes. I didn't study it. In or because I knew that if I didn't take those hours, I was going to be dedicated to that course and move it to the other ones that were a bit more um, intensive, that I would fail something. So I took one of the easiest ones and basically sacrificially got a you know a mid fifties in it. Still passed it. It was a lamb. But it was, it was the lamb. Yeah. I mean, through high school, I wasn't. I wouldn't call myself a crazy dedicated student because I think many people feel this. But high school doesn't require the same, you know, intensive study as university or a postgraduate degree right so you've always been a work smart not hard not necessarily find the corners but yeah cut them if you stumble across them yep yep and i, I mean that's definitely carried through into my career too mm-hmm. I, I hate seeing inefficient things if i can do the work once in an efficient way to for, to improve the next year's worth of work then that's i'll spend days on that see is it slacking or is it just efficiency it's figuring out how to get as much done was as little as possible so that you can then kick back and enjoy or whatever. It's efficiency until it becomes a fault. How until so? you until you really start spending, you know, three, four, five days trying to streamline a process. And you even over the course of a few years, you might not get that time back. But I, I put myself in the lane of people that will probably do that. I need to recognize that I'll streamline to a fault. Well, from from outside looking in, it looks like you've always well, you have a good level of self-awareness to see where and what that is and how it could come up. So you build systems in your life to manage and organize that so that you kind of adhere to a schedule or adhere to a system so that nothing is ever falling because you juggle a lot of fucking things at any given time. Where where's that come from? How'd you pick it up? Was, it, was this entrained in university from trying to pick and choose uh, which classes to, to sacrifice, which ones you got to dedicate and work hard in? Uh, or is it, what's it from? I think I picked it up through a lot of pain and suffering of it not working and slowly realizing that humans are just animals that need routine. And the more you can chunk up your time and the more you can discipline yourself in that way, that it gets a bit more manageable. You know, and I'm still not an expert at that by any means, but I do think that, you know, almost every hour of your call it working days when your day is not purely dedicated to leisure should be chunked up. And it, even if that chunk is, I'm going to relax during this time. That's, that's something that I've definitely discovered over the last few years. As I start to take on more and more and more projects, um, it's very easy to get into that pitfall of sitting on a couch. You should be relaxing. You're exhausted. You're done. And you're just thinking of all the things that you should be doing. And then that relaxation time doesn't end up being relaxed relaxation time you haven't accomplished anything mm-hmm. but you also haven't accomplished you know de-stressing is that is that the solution to that is what time blocking you're saying absolutely and and like i said i'm still not an expert at that but the the time blocks that i do have in my day my exercise my meal prep my working hours those have been hugely hugely helpful at reducing my stress levels and in, you know improving my actual productivity Walk me through your time blocking then, because this is something I struggle with and I harp on, I'm I'm the biggest uh, fraud, especially if he is an example and talking with my team at work, I'm constantly saying, boys, it's going to be, it's going to be damn near impossible to get half of what we need to get done. If we don't think ahead and we're not proactive when we try and think of uh, A, B, C, and D ultimately. So that what I say is, when shit hits the fan and you had no plan, maybe you solve the problem and you come back to it. You're like, well, shit, where do I get back into? And you just get a little bit overwhelmed and you almost like sit on the couch and end up doing nothing. And I, I, I feel like the systems work and work, but, and then broadening that to work and personal and professional and, and your own personal endeavors, it becomes this whole giant thing now where it's almost a, it is a lifestyle. You got to think it's, it's really adhering to discipline. I had I had a very strong conversation with a, fr- a friend of mine who's really trying to start his own business. Uh, he's self-employed at the moment, and he's struggling with discipline a bit and time blocking. And 
that's essentially the conclusion that I came down to is it has to be a part of you. You, There's no way to half-ass, you know, being a motivated, organized person, in my opinion. You have to, you have to take pride in the fact that, you know, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that's doing work, you know, in the evening. I'm that guy who wakes up at 5, 6 a.m. and goes to the gym. And that... It doesn't, you don't, you shouldn't have to force yourself to do that. It should be a pride point for you. And I think that's where the most productive people and why they're absolutely bloody unstoppable is because they genuinely enjoy what they're doing. They don't have to force themselves to do the work. They're, you know, miserable when they're not doing the work genuinely, genuinely, genuinely. Mm-hmm. And and the biggest parallel that I draw to it, because I think that m- most people find or more people find motivation in physical fitness easier to achieve because, you know, it feels good. You feel great after it. The rest of your day is just set if you get a morning workout in. And you need to realize that some people feel that way about other work, not just physical fitness. You know, when someone does an hour of emails in the morning, that gives them the same rush, that same dopamine hit as going to the gym for an hour. So, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly, especially in many contexts in the professional world, you see that people you can you can sweat equity and work harder and just like blood sweat and tears uh to get further ahead that's like kobe bryant the mamba mentality where he's going to be up at 4 a.m before everybody's around to just constantly have the pride and the the knowledge that i put an extra two hours on this bitch and just no matter what you're going to keep a leg up but in the same breath is if you if you don't take pride also in the things that aren't work and you have other outlets and other things, cause you can't just be this one unidimensional creature, then the quality of your work will suffer. So that's why I would push everybody to pick up some semblance of, of exercise or some sort of outlets so that yep. you're not just holding all in on, on yep. one. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that at some point in order to be a hyper successful individual, in my opinion, grind needs to turn into just enjoyment. And when people are praising you for your hard work and going, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you wake up at six and then work until nine. You should kind of be chuckling to yourself and going, "This, you know, this isn't hard for me. I actually enjoy this, but I'll, t- I'll take the praise because I realize that this seems hard to you, but I've gotten to a point where this feels good. It's perspective. It's attitude. It's attitude. It's, this is the opportunity. This is what I've been given and what do I want to do and make of it type of yep. thing yeah walk me through though the the times where you struggle with that and you're feeling I, I wouldn't say a lethargic but you're not doing what you think you're supposed to be doing or you've even planned you're doing when does that happen is that like a highs and lows like an energy cycle uh how do you how do you pull yourself out of those situations i think it definitely is i mean i think everyone has weeks where it just gets too much you got nothing left to give. And then, you know, that's where time blocking, I think if done incorrectly, can start to work against you because you start to see yourself missing time blocks and missing deadlines and that that further adds to the anxiety. And so I think that's why time blocking is important to be done properly. And in my opinion, a lot of people say set specific goals, but when you start to get behind, that's where the anxiety comes from. I, I like to set time blocks of I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on broad topic, a script for a video. I'm going to work on filming. I'm not going to get X number of shots done. I'm not going to get this. I'm going to work on filming, right? And that allows me to feel a sense of accomplishment, whether I've reached a goal or not, right? And it helps in those cases where, you know, you're just dead. You do 30 minutes of filming. You do 30 minutes of emails, whatever it is. You should have done an hour, but you stopped. But you've still you've still accomplished something. So you focus on the inputs as opposed to like what's the the output right. of whatever. But my only my uh, how do you ensure or uh, avoid mindless work or work that uh, doesn't actually have relevant inputs towards the output or the goal? You're like, isn't it super important to set a goal and something that you're working towards? Like, put a milestone or a goal post somewhere so that you know. When you do set 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, or whatever it is, it's not completely 100 meters uh, left when you were supposed to be going, right? <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, like anything, it's individual. Some people, some people need to chunk up every task into 20 milestones. 
I recognize that for myself, I need one kind of North Star, one guiding light, maybe at the end of each week, at the end of each month that I'm pointing towards, because it gives me more flexibility throughout the month to, I don't want to say slack off, but it gives me flexibility. When, when I do get overwhelmed, I can be lenient and pull back. And when I have extra energy, I can push forward. But isn't that, isn't that goal setting, Matt? One that month, I, one week, or it—that is goal setting. I'm, I'm just urging people to not necessarily follow one set of principles because you heard one successful guy say it. Right. Because, because for him, it worked to chunk up every task into tiny little pieces. Some people, you know, they need a yearly goal, and they're hyper motivated because of that. Some people need monthly. Some people. Need so, how did you find your process then? How did you, uh, um, how did you find your process? Not in the context of work, because work, I find is is one that can be somewhat prescribed to you and you can figure it out just with time and experience but in an entrepreneurial adventure and in any creative venture you only have yourself to look to to set what's the goal now and what are we going to do in a month time and three months time and what are we working towards uh what was the process like for you in figuring out what works uh in in your individual pursuit i mean that's that's a really big question. And I think I think I'm still kind of figuring that out because when I think about my individual pursuit, it encompasses everything. Okay. Right? Fitness, business, life, free time, lifestyle, like you said. And I mean, I really, I really look at things from a very big picture approach to that and where I want to get. And again, I guess we're recognizing a trend on this podcast, but I point very far out. In five years, what do I want? And then I chunk it up. In five years, you know, I want to be doing what I'm doing, maybe not working a nine to five, mm-hmm. maybe not editing all of my videos. So I need the capacity and the income to hire someone, right? And and how do we get there? And roadmap in that way. So I think I think building as a, as an individual entrepreneur, business owner who's running a lean business, meaning I'm I'm the only bloody employee here. <laughs> You are the CEO, you're the CFO, and, and really I treat it as a career more than a business. Where where do you want to take this puppy to give me that end result? As the one employee, I want to make my employees happy, <laughs> run a good business. <laughs> you, you want the asset to grow. You are also the asset in so far as you are creating and, and pumping out the product in the same time. Yeah. Well, I guess to, to take a step back before we even jump into, I do want to understand your process and almost like your pillars of of life and lifestyle of what makes you feel the most productive, optimal, uh, what's your process to make you feel like you're not wasting your time and you are getting maximal output for whatever you put in. How did it all start? Uh, for, for context, Mr. Lifestyle Labs, for me, the, the first, the first time I met you, I was like, all right, this guy is really interested in coffee. And then where I, I I thought there was a tism, I was like, no, 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 it's not the coffee. It's actually the speakers and the audio file and just like being hell of a tune to the sensory experience. How did, how did Lifestyle Lab start? What was the, uh, the inception? Lifestyle Lab started with seeing an opportunity and capitalizing on that. And I like that you brought up, you know, this guy's hella interested in coffee and I, and I do love coffee, but at the time that this was kind of birthed, um, you know, that wasn't, I would say, my biggest hobby. Um, it's something that I've learned. And I think that is, you know, a key contributor, I guess, to kind of some of the success I'm learning along with my audience. But I w- I've always been a person, and I remember this very vividly through university, of having some free time. And we were that group of friends that would sit around and go, we want to be grinding on something. We want to be building something. But we don't have that thing. And I think a lot of people feel that. They have the motivation, they have the grind, they they want to work, they know they have the smarts, but they don't they don't have it yet. They don't have they don't have the business. That's what pushed you to get me here as an example. Right. Similar right. similar conversations. And and I I don't look back fondly on that because I, it's it's distressing knowing that you are a person with skills and you can do it, you have the drive, but you don't you haven't found the thing yet. So coffee for me, I, I 
as many people do, started drinking coffee through university. And then I bought a coffee machine and there weren't a whole lot of resources out there on it. I had this YouTube channel that I posted everything under the sun. I'd, you know, film a film a video of a projector working. I'd film, you know, a video of headphones not doing anything on a table because I know that there are people like myself out there who are just hyper researchers. They want to see things in the hands of everyday people. They don't want to see CNET reviewing things because it's, you know, it's not real. If if they're looking to buy something, they're just looking, I don't even know. They just want to, they just want to see it. It's the original Google review. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's the original Google review, but you just want to see the see the object. You want, but you can't get to the store, maybe. So that's what I was doing, and I bought this coffee machine, and I did the same thing with it. I noticed that there wasn't a lot of stuff out there. I filmed some videos on it, and those started to get some traction more so than the other random videos I was posting. The original channel name, and it might still exist in a URL somewhere, was just my everything videos. That's what it was called. That was the concept. It was never meant to be a business. It was an experiment. How many views can we get from people like myself who just want to see videos of stuff, stuff working? These weren't in, they weren't in-depth reviews. They were just videos of things. But things you were interested. It was like the first, it was the first, here's, this is what I think Matt is interested in. You had 17 niches at the time. And I think you still do have 17 niches. Just yep. you maybe don't produce content around them as you do. Yep. But you outside look at, seem like a, a generalist. You have mm-hmm. a broad horizon of like, I want to know a little bit about this, a little bit about this, a little bit about this. But you've sunk your teeth into this specific niche and, and executed well. And I, d- I didn't realize it at the time. And looking back on it, it's very clear what I was inadvertently doing. But I was throwing things at a wall until something eventually stuck. And the coffee, the Breville espresso machines, which is what a lot of people own, it very clearly stuck. And, you know, a few successful videos later, I go, there's something here, right? And it very slowly merged into, you know, okay, so if I do a video like this every week, and they get an average of 5,000 views, that's going to make me this much money. Hey, cool. I'm going to pay off my cell phone bill. I dig that. Cool. I can go, I can, I can take my girl, I can take my girlfriend out to dinner. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was again, you know, the, the very far off potential of being a YouTuber or being a career content creator wasn't really in my mind. It was, okay, this is a nice little side uh, influx of cash. Right. Right. And, and for a year or so, that's what, it, that's what it was. And after that year of following that formula, doing that experiment, seeing, okay, what happens if I post a video every week? I find a topic to do it on, I post a video. What would happen? And I think somewhere in that first year, it hit a dollar a day. And I was like, cool. All right. This is neat. I, I, remember, being very, bucks. <laughs> I remember being very, very stoked on that. Yeah. Right. And then I said, okay, so what would happen if I bought a better camera and I made a little set for myself in my house and I put a bit more production value into this? And that was year two, right? And that experience worked. Okay, so I paid off the camera that I had bought now and I paid off the set and there's a little bit money left over. Cool, I got some new free things to play with because they paid themselves off. That's a fun little business. I can fund my hobbies through this venture. Um, It's net zero, but I can satisfy that addiction that I have, which is researching things and buying things. And like you said, having about 15 different hobbies. So it was, so to, to get there, then the only input you said was, all right, let me just stay consistent. Let me just do this once a week and see what amounts to it. Yeah. It was, it was a proof of concept. What happens if I do this? I didn't know anyone who was a YouTuber. I wasn't asking people questions, you know, how much do you have to post? I was just saying, okay, I see what happened with one video. What happens if I do 52 of these? Well, it's the spirit of just discipline and consistency. And was that the first time uh, you really applied that to something personal in your life? Because now I see you apply that to all different elements, be it work, personal, fitness, professional. Mm -hmm. How do you take that mindset to the different uh, elements of, of Matt Stiver? I think it absolutely applies to anything. If you, if there's something that you're interested in or something you want to accomplish, do a, do a litmus test. Mm. Run, run that experiment. Okay, I'm going to be consistent at this for a month. What value does that bring to my life? What outcomes come out of that? Yep. And I think that's my engineering mind, you know, kind of coming back into it and being able to kind of visualize, okay, 
if one video is doing this, 52 videos will do this. Hey, that's worth my time. But sit down and do that thought experiment with whatever it is you're going to do. If you go to the gym twice a week now, you know, what would happen if you went five times a week? Is that extra input worth your estimated output? And if it is, try it. And maybe it's not. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you don't. The difference between twice a week and five times a week isn't worth that extra effort. Those little extra pump on your biceps ain't worth it. (laughs) Right? I got to say that's the most... uh engineering mind description of content creation or back backcast uh inputs outputs and see what'll potentially come when you increase it by 22 percent but i i take and i take pride in that and it's dorky and i and it's not i think an approach that people think a creative like myself might be taking but i think if you go and watch my content and compare it to other people's content that's my brand my brand is calculated. My brand is easy to understand. I might not be the most charming guy in the room. Put Nick behind the table and people would enjoy watching it far more. You know, maybe a bit know. bit, bit better looking, a bit more charismatic. Self-deprecating but, humor. It works well, Matt. I like it. Go on. <laughs> but, you know, that's not who I am. I'm trying, I'm trying to bring a bit more of that into my content. But I know at my core, my stuff is calculated. My stuff is well, stuff is well researched. And that's my brand. And it's organized. And, and, I'm, and I'm not it, trying to be that charming guy that says a whole lot of nothing for half an hour and people watch it start to finish. I would love <laughs> I would love to be that guy. I'm not, I, am, I am not gonna lie to you. That type of content creation I will forever admire. Someone who can someone who can flip just from a pure effort in versus results out. Some guy yeah. who can sit in front of a camera for 30 minutes, flip it on, you know, not have to do any cuts, no editing. That's my video for the week. That's great. Because my videos take, you know. 10, 20 hours a week. So I'm with you, dog. I, I, I hear, I, I see what you're saying, but just to play devil's advocate on uh, uh, putting the shoe on the other foot, the, the closest parallel I have to what you're ex- explain, uh, explaining or expressing is in sales, you make a call. You're, you're that charming, charismatic. You're going to try and get Matt's attention to buy some new X. And I pick up the phone and try and give him a ring. If you solely just rely on your personality, your charm, your charisma, and this is something, unfortunately, I've learned too many times and it it burns me. So now I'm trying to get more like you in that regards to be more process-oriented, organized, and systematic. If I just rely on a gift of gab, what ends up happening is you're not able to find patterns. You're not able to find a theme of, all right, when I do this, I can expect this. When X goes in, Y comes out. And it becomes hard to replicate and it becomes hard to scale. So even though you might have uh, a gift of gab, the first step, which is what I was thinking, I was watching some of your videos yesterday is you can tell there's clearly thought out script and a thought out storyline and theme behind what you're trying to communicate and, and storytell. And that's what makes it easy for an audience or somebody tuning in to follow along. And then, like as you mentioned, now that you have a framework, now that you have a system, you can throw in personality, character, whatever it may be to, to amplify it even more. But I'll just say on the other side, I think it's really tough to, to replicate and be consistent and find things if it is just a matter of winging it, you know? I mean, like, like anything, it's, it's lovely if you got both, right? But the reality is those, you know, those people are even more rare. Yeah. It's rare to have a highly charismatic person, and it's even more rare to have a highly charismatic person who also knows their shit, right? And I guess what I'm saying is that you need to recognize what your strength is. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be working to improve the other half of it, but play to that because um, there's always someone wishing they had, you know, like myself, I wish I had a bit more charisma to add to my content or my my interpersonal relations. And you might wish you had a bit more structure and technical analysis mm-hmm. and research behind yours, mm-hmm. right? But then at the end of the day, it's just awareness. Awareness and uh, reflection and evaluation to say, all right, what yep. am I good at? What can I work on? What can I, how do well, you, how do you know? Ref- Go on. And knowing what situation that you're in, right? Which is, yes. which is way easier to do in person, but some people are going to react way better to a technical approach and some people just want to be sold <laughs> so i agree and and then it comes to knowing your audience and if you're strategic yep. about it you can hone in on your messaging or what have you um what how what triggered you to think about uh, to reflect and have this wherewithal or, or awareness of 
what you're good at, your strengths, and then some of the things that you can improve on. What systems do you have in place to evaluate uh, your performance and and what you want to improve on moving forward? I think that my nine to five career kind of highlighted those things for me. Mm. I mean, I don't have a system of of self-evaluation. It's kind of a thing that's come with my experience and with age that I've realized this is how this is how I'm different from other people. This is how I'm the same as other people. This is where my pitfalls are that everyone kind of sees. But this is how I'm different. And this is how I stand out, right? And it's not necessarily something that your boss has to point out to you in a performance review, but you know, it's something you should be noticing on a daily basis as well. When you're sitting in a meeting, I I often do when I something I do all the time, probably again to a fault, is when I see someone presenting something, especially if it's joint work that we've done together and they're presenting it on my behalf. I say, I could, you know, I wouldn't present it that way. This is how I would be presenting it. But you have to realize that their way might not be wrong. It might be wrong. <laughs> but but I think in those situations where, where you feel yourself feeling something, I could do that better. I would have done that differently. Recognize that that's just you expressing, you know, what you think your your strengths are. That just sounds like a competitive, Matt. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are. It's like you just want to uh, pummel the competition and, and is it a, a want to win or a fear to lose? But we, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if either of us weren't ambitious, competitive of course. people, right? You look at the vast majority of people, they're not running podcasts, they're not running YouTube channels, right? Because that's just not something that's in them to do. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. But again, it's just the differences of people, right? Those people are far better at, you know, taking their weekends and enjoying 48 hours of it. And that's awesome. Dude, some people literally just want, they they, they are happy working and taking in minimal if all it means is that they can then go for a hike every day or they can just tunnel into a book or, which again, I think no, no harm, no foul. At the end of the day, I, I often think of, literally yep. everything in the context of a normal distribution. Yep. And my competitive edge, if you will, is just, I always want to make sure I'm on the 51% and above on that normal distribution, whatever element or aspect. And then wherever I am, just try and get further up so that mm-hmm. I can separate myself. I don't, I mean, it, in on that specific topic of people who are, you know, hyper or hyper motivated of pushing their limits of productivity and those who are hyper just do my nine to five, enjoy my goddamn life. Mm. I don't think there is a top or a bottom 50%. That's just the spectrum of people. And I, and I, as always, each is probably envious of the other at some times. For me personally, as someone who probably leans more towards the ambitious use every hour to progress myself side, I do often find myself going, wouldn't it be great to work 40 hours a week and then go to the gym and then eat some food and then enjoy the rest that, yeah, well, that would be fantastic but i know but i wouldn't i wouldn't always i wouldn't be able to do some of those things and go out to a restaurant if i also wasn't running my business right yeah grass is always greener so you gotta you gotta yep, yep. so then how do you ever if ever pause and just appreciate and just take moment to say look how fucking far i've come and and be proud of the work and be proud of what you've done, but then also still maintain the ambition and the fire under your ass to say, all right, I st- I'm still, I'm just getting started. That That's exactly how you do it. You time block two hours to appreciate. <laughs> the system, everything comes back to the time. Put gratitude. That, put, gratitude. Put, put that puppy on the calendar. Three hours of gratitude. And, and, and that's ridiculous. That was said somewhat in uh, jest, but... But you know, and we've spoken about that, that I have, I have that three hours. It yeah. might not be, it might not be written on a calendar, but for people listening, my Saturday mornings when mm-hmm. Nick and I are chatting right now, normally, and this is fun for me as well, by yeah, the way, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Likewise. but I do have, I never work Saturday mornings. I'm drinking coffee. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm listening to music on my speakers, another one of my hobbies. And that's kind of my gratitude block. 
And maybe I don't go so far as to literally write it down, <laughs> but that that very firmly exists. It doesn't matter if it's in the actual physical calendar. It's it's no. part of you. It's the lifestyle yep. where you just know, all right, this is a moment of of just when I appreciate it. Is that how? Because I've seen this. There's a there's a guy I follow on LinkedIn, and so hustle healthy and and and, and creating this this mindset of, of productive hustling. Uh, and he was just saying the way in which you maintain. I wouldn't say gratitude, but an appreciation for something that you're working with and touching all the time, something like coffee or, or, or music or what have you, is to be very specific with the ceremony of appreciating it, which is literally what you're doing on a Saturday where it's like, all right, these these two hours or these three hours, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm listening to my music, I'm not doing this for content or production value. This is like, I enjoy this coffee. This is my coffee. And I was flabbergasted when you tell me how much coffee you actually drink. But it sounds like this is your this is the moment where you appreciate it for its art and its beauty, as opposed to all of the other inputs that you got to do throughout the week with it. Yeah, I like I like using the word ceremony there. Ceremony is it? Yeah. Have a ceremony each week to appreciate what you've done, whatever your business is, whatever you're doing in your life, whether it's fitness, whether it's business, whatever, whether it's school. And and have that ceremony, I like that. Yeah, uh, and you can apply. It. I think it helps. It helps especially if you're working with it twenty four seven. You know, what do you? How do you still? I mean, how do you still appreciate music or sound? Because that is also a, it, well, part of me is that a little bit of your nine to five. Insofar as with devices and what have you, there's pieces of sound or that it just purely becomes management when and how do you appreciate music because it's always around you i I wouldn't say that music or or hi-fi or stereo has really found my way into my career okay in the in that way but i think it brings up an interesting conversation which is you know people saying that if you work in your hobby you'll never work a day in your life right Mm -hmm. and i guess i i have to be a bit cautionary on that because I think it has the potential to intrude. If it's something that you do truly love, but you're also relying on that as a source of income, there's a very strong potential for cross-contamination there. And, you know, take using myself and as, a, as an example, I, I bought my first coffee machine because I go, wow, I love the ritual of making coffee. I like drinking coffee. This tastes great. I like doing this on a Saturday morning. But now, as this is very much a part of my career, Whenever I'm making coffee, whenever I'm using a piece of equipment, I go, should I be filming this? Should I be making content out of this? This is my business. I have a responsibility to be doing this, right? And it intrudes. And and that's a skill of separating those things. And that could be very difficult, especially if you're someone who's ambitious, who goes, every opportunity I have to capture content, I should be doing this, right? So you need boundaries. You got to have boundaries. You need those boundaries. Yep. Well, it's like uh, you hear it all the time with professional athletes. Like I, I think of Tiger Woods in golf because from the moment he's been born to where he's now, it's just been his old man is just golf, 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 yep. golf, golf. But there is something about an obsession. When you have an obsession, you're just constantly thinking about it. So it just yep. never shuts off. Maybe that's how that's that's the genius of it all. But you you do hear these professionals, even professional athletes. Uh, speaking of golfers, I mean, someone like Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. he's not a golf, you know, not passionate golf nut. He's like, this is my job. And that sounds ridiculous to the layman who goes, you play a game for a bloody living. <laughs> How can you possibly be miserable? How could you possibly, you know, not enjoy putting in that quote unquote, they'll say work, but it is work. But I, I think just like we're, there's no one way there's, there's, there's many different ways to skin a cat. Uh, and so far as you don't have to be the obsession the nut you don't have to uh fully consume yourself with it to get to the the, the peaks of it all you can mm-hmm. separate and have a balance and a more organized life and i think the way to do that is to stay organized and to have all the different systems and process so if you are having your hand in five different cookie jars it's not it's not all shit work at the end of the day when you are showing up for golf or showing up for coffee or whatever it is uh you're making something of it but again, it'll all, this is my thing. It all comes back to time management because you got 24 hours a day. That bitch is going to go by so quick if you don't have some forethought of how do I want to get me, get and make sure this is, is used proactively, you know? Yep. Yep. And I mean, that's obviously why people kind of 
hammer that point home so much and we've circled back to it probably about five or six <laughs> times already over the course of this this conversation time, time. but it, it's something that that clearly works for you and i and it's also clearly something that we're working on strongly because it does work well i'll tell you man <laughs> I, I come back to it all the time and it's the thing i struggle with the most matt i, mm-hmm. I try yeah I, and, and it's just constantly trying to put together different systems to say how do i make sure i'm not losing time anywhere or uh, I have, I'm getting everything I want to be done, done. Uh, I think the one that works the best for me is guilt. I'll write it in front of me, put it on a piece of paper, put it on a whiteboard, put it everywhere so that I just keep kind of looking across and I'm like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> and that's my motivator. I don't know if that's healthy, but that's what spurs action for me at the end of it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, guilt works for, for people. I think that the fear of judgment works a lot for people. It's an inter- another interesting conversation of, you know, if if you're meeting someone somewhere to do work with them or you have someone who's waiting on your output for a project, there's a mm-hmm. deadline, you're going to miss that deadline far less often. As a human, the fear of that judgment, the fear of that disappointment from another person is hugely powerful, which is why being an independent entrepreneur is so bloody hard because there's there's no one else there. Well, I was going to say, that's what lends credence to the success that you've had, because that's purely uh, a self-stoked fire. Yep. But what, but that's that's what I struggle with the most. What's that? Is self-motivation throughout the week. If there's someone who's going to be disappointed in this, it's nobody but myself, right? Right. I don't think I'm at quite the size yet where my, you know, viewers are going to be, where's the video? Where's the video, right? <laughs> no, it'll, it'll happen, but, you know. Um, it, it, it's all, it's all on me. And if that video doesn't get out, there's really no consequence to that. There's no immediate consequence to that. It might affect my growth. It might affect, you know, my income streams, but there's no immediate consequence from someone else. There's no one knocking on my door going, where is this? But you've just owned it. It's called, you've taken accountability and ownership. And now that's, that's sheer responsibility that you hold on your shoulders. Yep. You get that from somebody though. You get that from, uh, your role model. Like in some way you saw that growing up. Where would you, where would you take not ambition, but responsibility from? Do you have not a chip on your shoulder? Who are you trying to impress? Why are you trying to prove yourself? I think I do. I mean, I think, I don't think I was an extremely cocky kid. You were or weren't? I absolutely was. Okay. I was, you know, the fastest kid. I was the smartest kid. Uh, it all makes sense, dog. It all makes sense. Go on. I don't know about that. But, you know, at at a very young age where you think that, you know, nothing else matters. I'm talking like grades three through six here, right? I'm getting the, I mean, not that grades were the cool thing or anything, but, you know, I've got the highest grades in the class. I'm the fastest runner. I, you know, I'm, I'm good at all the things and going out then into the real world, you kind of keep a little bit of that being an adult. I think I'm a little bit more mindful of where I actually stand on the hierarchy, but you know, I always felt that I should be a successful person. Right. And that's something that I do hold deep down inside me of I've got what it takes and hearkening back to the, you know, right beginning of this conversation, I was sitting there in university going, I've got what it takes. I should be someone who's running a business being successful, but I don't have that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I've got that thing and I'm hanging on for it for dear life because I know how hard it is to find that thing. And I guess that's kind of where my motivation comes from. I see that I have an opportunity here. I saw how long it took for that thing to come around and I'm not going to fuck this up. I'm with you. And it's like when you come into the real world, you realize nobody gives a fuck about you. Nobody gives a fuck about you, but your mother. So it's, it's sheerly up to you and your, your, your merit and your sweat equity. That'll amount to who is Matt Stiver at the end of it all. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome ever as you reach new heights? And do you ever feel as if, uh, yeah, do you ever feel as if it's unjust or unwarranted or somebody's going to catch you and find you out? I think I think I deal with that a bit very, very specifically in the industry I'm in. Because like I said, I'm, I've never been a coffee professional and I'm developing into that. In terms of imposter syndrome of being a, person who's running his own business and and being different than the rest absolutely not i think like i said that's something that i always expected and wanted myself to be so i feel like i'm where i'm supposed to be in that respect well then you have a you have a 
if confident, I guess you have confidence because you look back and look at your track record. But then when you're surrounding yourself with experts or surrounded by experts, you second guess a little bit of, of what you've done. My, my only challenge to that is, I don't know, I'm looking, looking deeper into LinkedIn content creation and, and there's, there's many different ways to go about it. You can be an expert, you can have the 20 plus years of coffee connoisseurism. So you have this authority to, to speak from a place or a pedestal, if you will. But then in the same vein, you also have journalism, true discovery and true, uh, hey, this is me on my journey trying to understand and learn it. And through that journey of, hey, follow along if you're interested, that is expert and authority in and of itself. Because at the end of the day, what that is, is that's action. That's somebody that is actually looking through and saying, all right, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to cover? What am I curious about? And I'm going to be open enough with my experience to like let people follow along. And ultimately, there's going to be people behind you that are going to say, ah, oh, you know, I wish I could do that. Or I'm always been curious about that too, but I've never had the fire to like start and take some action, follow along. So I don't think you get, you got to give yourself some credit is all I'm saying. And so far as it's investigative journalism and it's being bold enough to share your naivete and candidly going yep. through that process, you are learning and further along on the normal distribution than you'd expect or anticipate. And, and there's power in that. And like I said, I, I owe some of the success of my channel to that in that I am learning along with my audience and we're growing together. And I've seen many people saying, you know, they bought the first express, espresso machine that I had bought. <laughs> and then they also graduated while watching the channel to another espresso machine. And and people are moving with me in this journey. And, and there's something about that. There's definitely a really good sense of community because of that. Because it's not just me sitting on a pedestal going, you know, I'm all knowing, I've got this fancy stuff, you know, strive to be me. It's all right, let's learn together. So talk to me about your community then, because I feel like that that's what everything graduates to. Everything graduates to like true mastery is service. True mastery is sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your insight or what, what have you. It's when you when you truly feel connected to something that you you really are a part of it is when you are you've extended and expanded beyond just yourself that's the whole fucking bruce lee philosophy of martial arts where that's when you get to the the peaks of the peaks is mm-hmm. now when you're now sharing it's no longer just you and that's what you were saying earlier of, of there's something about it as a human is that we're as much as we're egos and we're little individuals, just as much so we, we long to have people and folks around us. What's your journey been like with your community? What do you get out of them? What do they get? Well, obviously we know what they get out of you, but what do you get out of them? Um, I get kept honest, right? <laughs> especially, especially at the beginning when, you know, I was that at the very beginning of this channel is probably when I was finding myself, you know, faking it till I make it as people like to say the most. Right. And, and looking back on that, there's just straight up, you know, incorrect information and you got to take that down and learn from it and say, okay, I, you know, I, uh, got a bit too big for my britches there. I didn't actually have full mastery of that. Let me, let me take a step back and, you know, be honest with myself and say, I I didn't understand that concept. I shouldn't have posted that video. Right. Right. And that's true. And I, and that's a skill to absolutely learn, especially in the content creation space. Uh, it's a lot about anticipating that criticism and mitigating it before it even happens even though sometimes criticism just equals engagement so (laughs) fuck it why not but all publicity is good publicity (laughs) right but anticipating the criticism that you're going to get and you know anytime i'm writing a script it's 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 about taking angles and finding ways to anticipate what people are going to say and but at the at the end of the day i am being kept humble by my audience and i make sure to not step out side of my comfort zone and not talk about things I'm not an expert on. Right. And, and acknowledge your fault. I think, dude, well, that's, that's the, the, that's the beauty of how the Joe Rogan experience is fucking the, the, the cultural phenomenon that it is. And, and I'd say all the podcasts that kind of follow in suit to that. And and you've seen him hit the same pitfalls too, of probably stepping a bit outside of his, his skill set and then having to backtrack on it a bit. We need to be cognizant of that. But I think that that's the beauty of it all. That's the independent creator is you're a truth seeker mm-hmm. trying to be kept honest. And the way your audience will continue to grow is because 
you they know they can trust you and report back with like all right this guy's not fucking me he's not just some slick talker he'll acknowledge and pick up where he's wrong yep you do that in work would your would your would your employees uh your your team also acknowledge that in you as a leader because now you're no longer just you're no longer the asset and the only one responsible for the output you're rallying the troops how do you I differentiate think, that? I think that's that it's always the best approach though. And there's a parallel to be drawn between what I'm doing in content creation and what I'm doing in in a leadership role in my nine to five in that, you know, as cliche as, as it is, being transparent, being honest is extremely important because it takes, selfishly, it takes a whole lot of effort off your back. If you're trying to, you know, take an angle at all times or you're not being truthful or you're trying to act like an expert when you're not, it, that takes a hell of a lot of effort. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you are meant to be in that role, as I hope that you are or feel that you should be, you should be able to acknowledge, you know, I don't have answers to these things. And in that transparency, people will learn to trust you a lot. And that's that's something that I bring to both both aspects. And I would hope that my team would say, you know, that I'm an extremely transparent person and that builds a whole lot of trust. Right. Yes. Um, one of the things I struggle with in leadership is uh, you're, you're, you're delegating tasks and responsibility. If you, if you think of the other person and you motivate them and kind of show them the path, they'll obviously get more done if you have 10 people rallying it as opposed to just you. But do you feel as if when leading or, or encouraging people to do something, you kind of have to do it first? You have to have deep knowledge and intimate understanding of fuck what could potentially go wrong here so that when you are trying to lead that person, it's not just from a place of like me in an ivory tower from a glass house saying, ah, this is how I think it should be done. It's like actual tangible experience of, hey, this is what I fucked up in. This is what I think worked really well. Yep. Here's my yeah. advice. Go take a crack at it. I- ideally. But yeah. I think as you would know, sometimes you're on a time crunch and you don't have you know, the time to go and do it once yourself and then report back to your team. Yeah. And in those situations, you have to say, all right, team, let's figure this out together. And I think there's a whole lot of power in that too. And I've watched several upper management changes in my nine to five. And one person was very much not like that. And one person very much was. And the amount of respect that was garnered by the person who said, listen, I'm new to this. Let's figure this out together. I need all of our collective knowledge and opinions on this one because mm-hmm. I haven't done it before. That person garnered so much more respect and was more successful in what they were doing, in rallying the troops, as you like to say. And interestingly, that's the exact same uh, ethos of uh, your lifestyle apps. Hey, I, I don't know the journey. I don't know the answer. I'm not an expert here, but follow along and let me know if, if you find this interesting and let's let's learn it together type of thing. Yeah, in, in many ways. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, repetition and consistency is what will bring people back. Yep. Well, hit hit me with uh, the last piece is is you as an individual. Uh, you have your nine to five. You have your business. How do you work upon yourself? How do you look on personal growth and development? What are the the five principles, if there are, that you constantly loom or think about? Like I need to make sure that these are progressing. Oof. Five. Five whole things to work on, Nick. Five, five whole things. Ouch. Well, I'm, I'm going to take a stab or a guess. Your physical body, your physical vessel, yep. uh, making sure you are moving, operating uh, without creaks and cracks in the joints as we age and grow old. Yep. I'd be curious if and how the mind plays into that, how you feel as if you are intellectually or cognitively enhancing and developing spiritually mind body soul this is the part of the podcast matt where we get hippy dippy we pop a little bit of mushrooms and we explore <laughs> who and what we are oh is that that's the envelope you mailed me <laughs> yeah okay wait let me grab that <laughs> no i mean i think that you're dead dead right on obviously fitness um i think that a lot of people might be like myself and that did slip during the pandemic and and the importance of that really really came to the forefront not just in terms of how my body's feeling, but in terms of the mind, in terms of energy levels. Um, it's kind of a thing that I knew my whole life, but I was also very physically active my whole life. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, I know this helps. But then a year or so of really letting that slide and 
and you feel it. So yes, that's absolutely a huge one. You know, being grateful, I think is something that we discussed, but that is a big part of where I am is taking taking a step back and realizing that I'm doing well. What does that look like in practice? Coffee, coffee ceremony, but you have daily rituals or routines. And I think gratitude is extremely powerful, dude. More often than not, when you're that inner voice or critic is going, I think gratitude Mm -hmm. is the answer in some way, shape or form, but it's hard to be discreet with it at times I find. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the daily or the weekly ceremonies, Mm -hmm. but then also the bigger picture, you know, when you're with family, when you're, when you're out doing things that you have, that have been enabled by the work that you're putting in, right? When, you know, my girlfriend is now living in a different country. I have the ability to go and fly down and see her, you know, once a month or so. Mm -hmm. That is purely and exclusively enabled by the fact that I not only work a nine to five, but I also have this job giving me a bit of extra income. And when I'm sitting on a plane, you know, taking my third flight, fourth flight this year already, I'm going, you know, that's a sense of being grateful for that too. When we're out having a nice dinner, you know, it's not, it's not all surrounding money. And I don't think that my career journey is truly based around money. Mm. It is really, really based around that freedom. Experiences? Experiences, yes. But even deeper than that, the choice to be Mm. able to experience things. Not the experiences themselves, just, you know, waking up and saying, I would like to experience that. I would like to choice go on a trip. I would like to go camping this weekend. I would right. like to. And, and having the ability to do that, not in some ways, even more so than the experience itself, but having the freedom to do that. No, I agree. Um, and I think that's what most people actually struggle, struggle with or suffer from is the fact that they don't have that choice. That's what becomes crippling. And then they never find that spark because it's just this negative feedback loop. Okay. I mean, it, it gets extremely hard right now. And it, unfortunately, it keeps circling back to money. People are getting tight on money right now. And they're not able to just have those little, have those experiences, go out and enjoy those things. And so being grateful for that is extremely, extremely important. And if you're in a position where you can't currently do that, finding a way to leverage your motivations or your skill sets to do that, right? Yeah. Give yourself that, it doesn't take much right? People think of a side hustle as something that's, you know, equaling or, or, you know, somewhat equaling their day job, but paying off your cell phone bill each month with a YouTube channel that posts absolute garbage about absolutely nothing enables you to go out and have a nice dinner with your girlfriend or your wife once a month. Yep. It doesn't take a lot. Yep. Okay. So gratitude, the body, That's about that's, it. That's about <laughs> it. And money, baby. I'm with I, you. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty tunneled visioned guy, and I yeah. would like to say to a fault, but I don't know if it is to a fault. Mm-hmm. I take kind of pride in that. I have these things that I want to accomplish. I have a vision for my life. I take time to take steps back, and I'm happy with that. And I think making a cognizant decision that you know I'm sitting here in this stage in my life. And I've come to the conclusion that this is the best path for me. This is the best use of my time. Yep. And whether I look back on that and go, that was the right decision or that was the wrong decision, you know, all, you, sh- you know, you should have been going out to the bars with your friends because you're still young, you don't have kids. You know, if I regret that in the future, that's fine because I know that sitting here in this moment, I've used my engineer brain, I've technically thought about it and I've come to the very firm conclusion that this is the best choice for me. And I will not allow myself to look back on that with resentment. It's focus. It's focus and appreciation and and confidence at the end of it all. It's acceptance that I've made the right choice right now. Because, you know, one of the biggest fears for me in putting in so much time to my career is regret. You know, I'm a young young guy, but I'm approaching my 30s, right? And I do spend a hell of a lot of time sat by myself working. Will I regret that when I'm older? I don't know, but sitting here right now, it feels like I'm doing the right thing and that's all you can do. I agree. Well, uh, my pitch to you, my ploy to you to maybe help find some answers one year, 10 years, 20 years from now, do you journal, do you reflect, do you literally write down your thoughts? 
I'm Matt, if there's if there's a pitch to you as a friend, as a compadre, as as something that I think will give you tremendous value in the same way that you focusing on let's just get one thing out for a year and see what it amounts to. And you dedicate so much time to being responsible for producing and creating something of value, evidently. You invest a journal, writing down your thoughts is is investing in yourself uh, the the great dr peterson writing is the clearest form of thinking and you know how sometimes like you're staring at a piece of paper and you're trying to write out a script write out a script it's just blank and and you're like all right but then as soon as it starts coming and kind of starts flowing you, you brain down but then it's, it, it, it amounts to something that's the same process that i i'd encourage and i think you should do for all aspects yep. of of yourself in so far as you open up a piece of paper and it's five minutes a day and you just say, all right, how are we going to fill up this piece of paper? What's on my mind? And what happens if you stay consistent to it, Matt? And I only say this, candidly, a little bit selfishly, in three years' time, you're going to have a hell of a fucking story. In 30 years' time, in 10 years, however long you want to look as a time horizon, you have a really cool and unique experience you're going through right now. So it's almost selfish to not even, even if not for you, then mm-hmm. your kin or whoever you want to inspire next or whatever it may be. It's a really fascinating and interesting story and, and, and you should document it in the same way that you've documented the journey of like, what is coffee, your life, your lifestyle, your experience and ethos. I would, uh, I would say that that's the million dollar idea. If you want to sling something in. <laughs> and I'll, I, th- I think I just need to come on here once a week and just and get it all down. No, it's not the same. And, and we'll put these on. We'll put these on cassette tapes, and then we'll play it. We'll I play it for you. our kids. We'll make them um, listen to it. And I agree. <laughs> and immortalize these thoughts. No, I, I I agree. And journaling is really something that I haven't done, but I absolutely understand. You know the power of writing. I do a hell of a lot of writing in what I do. Um, exactly. You know, and it is it is a stream exactly, of consciousness exactly. that you don't even is, need the mushroom if anything, or the weed or anything like that, dude. But the same way that you know, in times of uh, exercise and physical fitness and even work highs and lows, you'll find that with your own self reflection as well. But then at times you'll just be able to just like, and ultimately I feel like you'll find some good ideas. Yep. Anyways, that's my that's my pitch on that's my only my one and only pitch to you as a salesman today for something I think you would. Nick, Nick can't help himself. He's got he's got to go sales at least once over the course of an hour, um, but not yeah, without yeah. good reason. Yeah, and yeah, I think I think if we're gonna add a third thing to those, you know, fitness, gratefulness, then and mindfulness would absolutely be one. And I need to find a better way to practice that because you know it's kind of in an epiphany moment. The value of mindfulness has kind of come to me over the last few years. Of if you're able to control you know, your thoughts and emotions and you do it consciously on a daily basis, then when you get into stressful situations, you're also practiced, right? And and that is absolutely something that I need to do is be able to control that, control the motion, um, practice that in some way. And maybe journaling is a good outlet. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm with you, man. I uh, appreciate you sharing. I think uh, uh, I did a pod on this one recently of Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. But you know, you have that little voice in your head. Mm-hmm. constantly saying, oh, you should be doing it. It's, it's a psychopath. Everybody has that same voice in their head and it's psychopathic insofar as even if you were to do exactly what it's saying, as soon as you start doing it, it's going to say, well, why are you doing that? And it just <laughs> is constantly fucking running, right? How, how is your internal? I feel like you would have a very interesting internal dialogue. How how, like how constant is it? 16 personalities in there, yeah. dog. It's, it's just, I confuse me sometimes. Really? I mean, that, well, that, it's, that's interesting to me because my internal dialogue is very much one individual and it is especially now living living alone it is so bloody constant how so everything even you know even when i'm working and and uh you know self-motivating myself in my mind i'll be talking to myself come on let's get these shots let's get this done push 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 like it's almost like exercise and sometimes it's out loud. Fuck. Speaking speaking of being crazy, right? Living alone, you can do you can do these things. <laughs> Literally, be you can be, walking you can around be naked. filming a <laughs> filming a coffee machine naked, going, "Come on, let's go. We got this." 
right? How fucking crazy. But it feels feels right. <laughs> the David Goggins coffee connoisseur. I'm, stay I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that it feels right and it gets the job done. <laughs> I don't just yes, um, but but the the pitch of Michael Singer is that you cannot be that voice in your head. The way you know you cannot be that voice in your head is you're listening to it. So evidently that that if it's subject object, mm-hmm. it is talking to something. And if you're perceiving it, you are then the observer. You are the one that's tuning into that. So if you fully associate to whatever they say, mm-hmm. they being the thing in your head, mm. then you're not being who you are and you're not even honing into your consciousness and your being. Interesting. I don't know. I don't man. know if I agree I, with that. How? <laughs> if you're because that's me, baby. That's not that, that voice is that voice is me. Matt, you gotta do some mushrooms, dog. I gotta show you the way. That's episode this, two. That's we, episode we, two. We hooked the people with this one. Yes. If you want part two, <laughs> like, comment, subscribe, baby. I send uh you know I'll send you I'll send you a, uh, an ape package. I don't know what that means, but all right. An ape, an ape. Uh, we'll, we'll tune in next time to hear <laughs> all that to say matt i appreciate you, doug for for creating the space um i think anywhere from from productivity to life hacks to, to ultimately just trying to make the most out of your time uh you're definitely somebody to follow and and follow along and of course if you're a java boy yourself uh or want to be you're an aspiring java boy uh, i feel like you've trailblazed that path somewhat so well i, uh, I appreciate the kind words nick and uh, I hope to chat with you again soon, whether it's recorded or not. But we we always have good conversations. So, and and you inspire me too in many many ways as well. So never forget that. Ah, thank you, brother. Gang, gang, <laughs> gang, gang. <laughs>